this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. Well, it, it is good to be here today, preaching to you, talking to you, engaging with you. And I, I feel like Paul, he would write letters to the churches he was he had founded and been a part of. And he always said, how I long to be with you, how I can't wait to be with you. I just want to be with you again. And while we've still been able to worship God together and learn and grow together, it it is different than being with somebody. You can have a pen pal, but when you get to meet them again, there's something deeper. And, and those relationships can be actually incredibly deep, but we want to grow closer and we want to grow more. So I'm excited to see you again next week as Aaron Holt is communicating. Um, he was one of my college professors. And like Candace said, he works with young people. And it was amazing last week to hear one of my former youth students, Jerry Stoddard, preach and, and just uh, see him use God's gift and he did an amazing job uh, just seeing his passion and and fire in someone so young and so fresh like that was one of his like first 10 times preaching it was under his 10th time ever communicating and he did it to a camera and he killed it and I was just it was awesome to see his fire and passion and fierceness for God and, and Candace has been leading us in this fierce series talking about you know kind of like aggressive faith and and, and what it means to kind of bear down and really get into it, and it's, it's meant a lot to me. And I remember when she started in week one defining what fears meant for her, God gave me this, this idea, and I said, hey, can I, can I add this to the series? And it was about how Israel, the, the name of the nation of Israel, has a very important meaning, and it's about actually that fierceness, I believe, and I want to talk to you about that today. Um, but when I think of the word fierce, when Candace first told me the title of this sermon series, I thought of two things. And I told her one of them, and she, of course, laughed at me saying I was ridiculous. But I thought of that uh, 2010s, like, trend where guys would go fierce like this. Like, they're just fierce. And, and that's what I thought of. And I'm like, you can't do a sermon series on that because that's just ridiculous. And I just couldn't, I couldn't manage it. But then I actually thought about what the word fierce means. And, it, and then I thought of, like, when I was a, a wrestler, when I was younger, there would be this face guys would make. You know, when, you, when you're when you a wrestler, you have to get weighed in, and you, you get in line with your team, and then you're standing there, and then you step on the scale, and then you step off, and then you watch the other guys step on the scale and step off, and there's it, it, like a dance. There's like this this attitude and how you have to carry yourself and how much you look at the guy or how much you don't look at the guy and you're trying to intimidate them and you're just, you're being fierce. You've got your girl face. And, and then I thought about how every year the wrestling team, we take our pictures. And a lot of sports, you know, when they take their team pictures, they, they kind of put their hands over their shoulders and they smile. But wrestlers, like the seniors are like, any freshman smiles and we're like killing them. Like you're not allowed to smile in a wrestling photo. So it's just fierce face. So that's what I thought about, that intensity, that that like intimidation, that 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 lean in, that that I won't be stopped kind of mentality is what I thought of with fierce. But the other thing I know about being fierce is it can be exhausting. Every year during wrestling season, the first week of wrestling season, we jokingly called Hell Week. 
because the coach's goal was to make somebody throw up every practice. The first practice, we'd run five miles outside. Even if it was raining, that was tradition. You're running five miles, and then you're coming in, and then we'll start wrestling practice, and that was exhausting. And then the next practice, it would just be live wrestling, and then they'd start getting into fundamentals and then, like, other workouts. And the goal was to basically kill us. And I remember it being exhausting trying to get back into that level of shape. So every year, the first week of wrestling, I would finish practice, go home, get home at like 6.30, and I'd fall asleep at 6.30. And then I'd wake up at 7 o'clock the next day for school. I would literally sleep 12 hours because I needed to recover. Because that level of being fierce is hard to maintain. So today, I want to talk about the difference, the balance, the, the distinctions between wrestling and resting. Wrestling and resting and what that means. So to do it, I want to look at the original wrestler in Scripture, the person that we learn about who, who has the, the greatest story of wrestling in the Bible, and his name is Jacob. But to understand who Jacob is, you have to understand kind of his family and where he comes from. There was this famous man in the Bible, Abraham. We all know Father Abraham. You know, he, he's the father of many nations. He is the patriarch to the Jewish religion. He is, he is the beginning of it all. And then he had Isaac as a son. And then Isaac has two sons. His two sons are Esau and Jacob. And Esau and Jacob are twins. They're actually born at the same time. So much so that the Bible describes that Esau is born. And Esau, his name means red because he had red hair. He was, he was like handsome and strong. And he was just this, this meat eater, this big guy. He was named Esau. And his brother Jacob, his name meant one who grasps at the heel. Because when Jacob was born, it was immediately after Esau, to the point that he was literally grabbing onto his brother's leg. And they noticed that, and they named him that. And the, the, the term to grasp at the leg, to, to grab at somebody's ankle, is a Hebrew idiom meaning to be deceitful to get what you want. He was a deceiver. He would do everything he could to pull and strive and fight to get what he wanted, to get the thing he wanted. And he was the second born, but he desperately wanted to be the firstborn because the firstborn, they got the blessing of their father. The firstborn got the full inheritance. The firstborn had the birthright, and Jacob wanted that. His name literally means to grasp at, to take hold, to deceive, to get what you need any way you can. And his name showed who he was throughout his life. He so wanted the blessing and birthright of his father, Abraham. He so wanted to be successful, to, to win, to get everything at any cost, that he spends his life deceiving his brother and attempting to steal from him, attempting to take from him. He, he, he like cooks a bowl of soup. His brother who's been out in the wild for days comes home and he smells the soup and he goes, hey, bro, give me some soup. And he says, fine, give me your birthright. Give me your birthright. And he's like, no, I'm not giving you my birthright. Just give me the soup. He's like, give me your birthright and I'll give you the soup. And then Esau, in the worst trade deal imaginable, trades his very birthright for a bowl of soup. And then later on, when when Isaac is on his deathbed. He's about to die. He said, send in Esau so that I can give him my blessing. I can pass the blessing God has given on to me to him. And then Esau is out in the out hunting. And then he, Jacob, 
he comes in and he pretends to be Esau because his dad's blind. It's like, it reminds me of the, the, the uh, red Robin Hood and it, Abraham's laying there and he can't see, like the grandma who can't see. And then Jacob comes in and he's like, hi, dad. And, and he's like pretending to be Esau. And Jacob's uh, and Isaac's like, you're not Esau, you're Jacob. He goes, no, 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 I'm, I'm Esau. And he, he puts like animal hair on his arms and he says, feel how hairy my arms are. And like, like feel how, how, and he like deceives his father, steals the blessing. And Esau is furious. You've stolen my birthright. You've stolen my blessing from our father. I'm going to kill you. So Jacob is afraid for his life. He spent his entire life deceiving and stealing, sinning, not living up to the blessing he wants, and now his brother is going to kill him. So he does what any smart man does in that situation. He runs away. He's lived his entire life deceitful and wicked, lying, unworthy of the very blessing he has stolen, and his only response is, oh, no, I should run for my life. Because he, he, he feels the deceit. He feels the, the sin. He feels not the person he should be. And he begins to run for his life. And that's actually where I want to pick up the story. After he has started to run for his life, where he feels defeated, he feels alone. He has left his father's household. He has left where he was, and he's on his own. And we're going to pick it up in Genesis 28, verse 10. Meanwhile... Jacob left Beersheba and traveled to Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth when, with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending it and descending it. There above it stood the Lord and said, God is literally appearing to him in his dream. And he says, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This is the type of thing I want to hear from God. I want to hear, I am for you, not against you. I want to hear, I'm going to multiply you. I want to hear, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to, I'm there for you. I'm your dad. I got you. We all want to hear that. And you know what? He says that to us. This is, this is an amazing moment. As a matter of fact, Jacob recognizes how profound this moment is in verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Have you ever had that feeling? Apparently God was here and I didn't even know. He reveals himself to you. You feel home. You feel welcome. You feel safe. You, you can stop running. You can stop fighting. You can stop arguing because God is there. He said in verse 17, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. You know what I love about our church? We are a welcoming church. It says on the wall, welcome home. And people will come to our church and they'll look around and they'll say, this place is awesome. 
How didn't I know about this place? I have students come in and they're like, I love this place. I want to come here more because they experience God's presence maybe for the first time. They experience acceptance maybe for the first time. They experience love for the first time and they go, this is awesome. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. He renamed the place where he met God. And names matter in the Bible. They carry weight and meaning like Jacob's name, which is was deceiver. It meant to deceive, to, it meant to grasp at, it meant to, to take things that weren't meant for you. It literally meant to, to steal and trick and, and he, he's a bad guy. His name had meaning in that meant something. The name Bethel means the house of God. A lot of people have attributed this physical building, this physical sanctuary to being the place where God is. And God dwells in this house. I have experienced God powerfully here at these altars. I have been baptized in the Holy Spirit here at these altars. I have encountered, I have experienced, I have, I have been poured out upon here in this house. This is the house of God. Clearly God is here. This place is awesome. But Jacob couldn't stay in Bethel for long. You see, he had a moment of resting with God in God's house, in the place where God dwelled. He lays his head down on a rock and somehow miraculously has a good night's sleep. I need my Tempur-Pedic pillow. Actually, I've learned I need two pillows. I put one pillow under the first pillow to wedge up the second pillow, and then I put the other pillow under my... It's like a routine, but he just puts his head on a rock. I don't, I don't know how he did that, but he finds rest with God there in Bethel, the house of God. He finds rest for his soul. He realizes that God loves him. He he goes from being deceitful and lying and feeling like no one will ever accept him. He has to run for his life from his own brother. His father has just passed away and he is alone and he experiences rest with God. I see this as a conversion moment for Jacob. He's running for his life and he experiences the love of God. Another thing about church that I have learned over the years is that people come here for a number of reasons, but usually it's because they're either running from something, they're in a place where they have no place left to go. There are other reasons people come to church. Maybe they're just looking for a new church. Maybe they moved into an area. Maybe maybe they just want the uplifting spirit that is in the house. There are other reasons, but, but when you come with nothing left in your tank, you are ready to experience the rest of God. And you walk into this place, and, and we do this every weekend at Freedom Valley, and we've continued to do it even when we've been online. We offer the gift of salvation, a free gift easily accepted, just like Jacob received it there. God saying, I am for you, not against you. I love you and accept you. I am meeting with you right where you are. You are in the house of God. Your very living room can become the house of God and you can encounter and experience him in a new way. And Jacob experiences that. Our church provides that. It is a holy place, a place where people meet God for the first time, a place where I have seen visions of the spirit as I have slept. I have slept in this sanctuary more times than I can count. 
and I have had dreams in this sanctuary. I remember we had a guy's night here where we were playing dodgeball throughout the whole building, and hopefully we didn't break anything. I don't remember if we did that night. And then it's like 3 a.m., and I'm like, guys, I'm going to sleep. I come in the sanctuary. I lay down, and then somebody turns on worship music. And I sleep, and I wake up exhausted because it's like only been 30 minutes, and worship music is playing. And I fall back asleep, and, and then I wake back up, and more worship music is playing, and I start experiencing this rest and peace with God. This place is special to me. But notice, Jacob, he doesn't stay in that place. You can't stay only in a place of resting. You have to walk out. And this is the biggest struggle for people who equate only this building with where they experience God. You can't live in this room. You can't always be in this place. You have to go to work. You have to go to your house. You have to eat. Bobby does a great job cooking food, but she does not cook three meals a day. You have to leave. And how do you bring God with you? So when Jacob leaves Bethel, how does he bring God with him. When he leaves the place where he encountered God in the first time, how does he bring him with him? Well, I'm not sure that he fully did. Now, he definitely brought the blessing of God, but his behavior didn't actually change that much, and he actually reaped some of the, the side effects of his deceit. He, he moves to a new place. He moves in with Laban, and, and he, he starts being deceived, and he starts receiving all these, these troubles and these problems, and, and his life is never the same. You know, Jesus wants to provide rest for you. This, this house of God that is a place of rest for so many, Jesus wants to provide that for you wherever you are. Matthew 11 explains this. Matthew 11, verse 28, or verse 30, we'll start there. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden I give you is light. The yoke I, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus wants to make things easy on you when it is too much to bear. He gives you a burden that is light. He says, follow me and I will give you rest. He says, I can make things easy. I can lift you up. See, this is a salvation experience. This is the moment Jacob experiences there in Bethel. It's when God says, I know things are tough. Let me help you up. And you're able to stand for the first time. But that moment of relief, needs to lead us into a new place. You cannot stay there. Because when Jacob left, he goes into a new land and he, he, he meets a guy and he says, I will be a part of your family. You know what? I, your daughter, your younger daughter, she's awesome. I'd love to marry her. What if I work for you seven years and you let me marry your daughter? And he says, sure thing. He works seven years. And then on the night of his wedding day, Laban deceives him, sends in his oldest daughter and he marries the wrong girl. What? He literally says, I want to marry her. I, I, I want to I marry her. And, and he gets the switcheroo. It's kind of like what he did to his brother when he gave his brother a bowl of soup for the birthright. He was deceived and he received the wrong wife. And then he goes, how could you deceive me? How could you do this to me? I wanted to marry her. And he's like, yeah, we don't do that here. You have to marry the oldest daughter before you can marry the younger daughter. And he's like, fine, I want my wife. I want to marry her. He says, okay, you got to work for me another seven years. 
And he loses 14 years of his life to this man who deceived him. And then he's like, hey, I, I'm ready to go live on my own. I want my own family. Will you give me a raise? I've been a blessing to you. God's blessing has fallen on your house. And he goes, sure thing. You take the spotted lambs. I'll take the good lambs. And then he's deceived again. And then, then he finds out 14 years later, 20 years later, after he's, he's ready to go off on his own, he's, he's afraid that Laban will kill him again. And his life has gone full circle. You know, he was deceived. He ends up having 11 children. He, he's got his own family and, and he's ready to start his own life. And then he is again running for his life from the man he lived with. Laban is chasing him down in the middle of the night and they meet up and he's terrified. He's, he's like, I gotta go back to where my father lived. And then he's afraid again because he's moving back to where his father lived and his brother Esau still lives there. And last thing he remembered, Esau said he wanted to kill him. And now he's going to go back there. What if Esau still wants to kill him? What if Esau kills him and he's afraid for his life? And fear creeps in again. A lot of times we've experienced salvation and the freedom and the light burden of Jesus, but fear creeps into our heart. What if it wasn't real? What if it didn't last? There's still hardships. Jacob still had to go through hardships. He still had to work 14 years for a guy and then be, be robbed and stolen and cheated and things were still going bad. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't easy. And fear creeps back into his heart. So he comes up with a plan for how he'll return to Esau, how he'll again deceive Esau into forgiving him. And he, he sends first the, his animals ahead and he sends them ahead with servants. And he says, go ahead and, and let Esau see all of our animals and then say, this is a gift for you. And then the next group, you bring the animals, you say, this is a gift for you. And then all the servants go and say, we are a gift for you. And maybe he'll forgive me. And then he sends his family to the other side of the river and he spends a night on his own again alone the night before he's going to return home. But this time, he doesn't find the rest that he found in Bethel. He finds something else. He finds something different on this second experience. We're going to go to Genesis 32 and read about the night Jacob was alone. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the river, crossed the ford, which is a river, of Jabbok, after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. It's a tiny little, little verse there. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. What the heck? I, like I said, I wrestled in high school. A wrestling match lasts six minutes. And at the end of those six minutes, you feel like you just ran a marathon. You cannot stand. You are exhausted. You are drained. And a man, it, it's the weirdest verse. A man wrestled with him until dawn began to break. What is going on? He fought and fights and wrestles and strives and struggles all night wrestling this guy who just showed up. And when the man saw that he could not, when, when the man saw he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. Notice it doesn't say he got him in like some guillotine hook and like, no, he just touches his hip and wrenches it out of socket. Clearly, there's something going on here. Then the man said, let me go for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
He is still searching for the blessing he's been seeking his whole life. As a child, he's grasping at his brother's heel. He then tricks him for the birthright with a bowl of soup. He then tricks his father to receive the blessing meant for his brother. Then he hears the promise of God in a vision in the middle of the night at Bethel, and he is still 14 years, 20, 20 years later saying, I won't let you go unless you bless me. He's still fighting and wrestling for that blessing. Verse 27, what is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob, remember, meaning grasping at the heel, deceiving. Your name will no longer mean Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. You have fought with God and man and have won. It also says in other versions, you have wrestled with God and man and won. It also says in other translations, you have strived against God and man and won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. Jacob realizes the, the man he wrestled with is the physical representation of God on earth. We call that man Jesus. You see, the, the name of Jesus is, is the term, it is the understanding that Yeshua is when God inhabits earth. When we, you know, when Moses talks to the physical representation of the bush, that is the physical representation of God on earth. When Jacob wrestled with that man, he is wrestling with the physical representation of God on earth. And Jacob wrestles with him and he says, I have seen God face to face, yet he spared my life. He understands that he had been fighting against God. He had been fighting and striving and wrestling against God. You know, I, as a kid growing up, I, I viewed wrestling and fighting as different things because I could wrestle somebody much bigger than me. I was a decent wrestler. Like, like I was a tiny kid. I'm, I'm still kind of tiny, but I was like real small, but I could wrestle somebody way bigger, like two, three weight classes above me. I could wrestle them and hold my own. But if it was a fight, I lose every time. Because wrestling has rules and fights don't. Like fights, people, they're throwing punches, they're kicking you, they're doing whatever it takes. They're getting their distance and they run at you. It's, it's like rough. But wrestling, there's rules. You, no, you can't do that. No, you're not allowed to do that. No, inside these rules I can win. But, but Jacob, he's in this knockdown, drag out fight with God. There's, there's a theology that states all men are born at war with God. Some people don't like that idea, that a, a little child is born at war with God, that something in our flesh declares, I don't want what God says is best for me. I want what I want, and that matters more. And we fight against God. But something changes when we learn to fight with God. You see, I, I, I learned in wrestling that if you want to get better, you need to find the right partner. There was this kid on my wrestling team who had more natural talent and ability than I could ever hope to have. His name was Sean Smith. This, this guy, he was like maybe two weight classes bigger than me, and he was naturally talented, gifted. He could easily have won states multiple times. But Sean had a problem. Sean didn't care. He had no drive. There was no 
fierceness in him, no real fight behind him. He would go out there and kind of try, and if he won, he won, and if he lost, he lost. And one day, I was sick of it. This kid who had more natural talent than me, more ability than me, who just kind of barely tried, and I decided that practice, I was going to push him until he learned how to fight. And Sean did not like that. It's like half-speed drills, and I'm going at him 100%. And like, and he, again, he's much bigger than me, but the rules of wrestling, I can hold my own, and I'm like pushing him and pushing him and pushing him and pushing him and pushing him, pushing him until he finally breaks and snaps and gets furious, and he throws me against the wall and goes, what's going on? This isn't a real match. And I'm like, that's the only way you're going to win. If you get fierce, if you get tough, if you learn how to fight, you see, I was becoming a sparring partner, a, a striving partner, a wrestling partner for him to make him stronger. When we wrestle with God, we become stronger because he is the perfect partner who knows how to push us to our next level. But it requires a willingness to wrestle through the night to wake up early and read the word and question it and struggle with it and strive against it, to not blindly accept what you're told, but to wrestle with it, to say, what are you talking about, God? I need an answer. And to just stay up and pray up and, and push through. You know, we all love that first experience at Bethel that I show up and God, the lights shine down and the experience is there. It is beautiful and it is powerful and it is important. We need that rest, but we also need that wrestle because that's where you get stronger. See, your burden is relieved in the rest, in the Bethel, but your pain in Peniel, which means face-to-face -face with God, that wrestling match, that sparring partner, that's where you become stronger. That's where you become fierce. That's where you grow the faith that can stand up against an enemy because we know that Jesus did this. We know Jesus actually wrestled and strived with God while he was here on earth. We read about it right before he's about to face the cross. He, he goes into a sparring match with his father. In Luke twenty two forty one. 41, it says that he walked a stone's throw away and he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. And an angel of heaven appears and strengthens him. And he begins to pray even more fervently. And he was in such agony of the spirit that sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. I've been in wrestling practices where sweat is pouring out of me like water out of a waterfall. But I have never been pushed so hard emotionally and physically that I have sweat blood. But there's a pattern we see here. He walks away, he prays, and he begins to make a request of his father. And he says, but even though it's not what I want, your will matters. And then he receives some rest and some energy. An angel strengthens him. And rather than saying, oh, good, that's, that's easier, he goes, I'm going deeper. And he begins to wrestle even harder and strive even harder until he sweats blood. And through that wrestling, he received the strength necessary to face the cross the next day. If you're going to face something tough in your life, you have to be willing to wrestle with God, to strive, to seek, to push through. We all want a God who gives us rest, but we also have to be willing to wrestle. So maybe you're asking a question. Well, when do I rest and when do I wrestle? How do I, how do I find rest from a God who says his yoke is easy and then wrestle with a God who says you have to be willing to fight it's not an easy question, but we have the Holy Spirit that can lead and guide us. 
You see, first I want to explain kind of why wrestling matters and the difference between wrestling. In Ephesians 6.12, it tells us we wrestle uh, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but we're wrestling against evil rulers and authorities in this unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the enemy. And there has been so much spiritual warfare going on in our lives lately, in our world lately, in our communities lately. We hear about this spiritual warfare that we have to fight and strive against. But how? The things seem too tough. And the first answer, I always explain, take authority. If God is with you, who can be against you? If you're wrestling, God is wrestling with you. He's not wrestling against you. He's wrestling for you. It's like a tag team match, and he's there. And you know what? Every now and then you can tag out, and you can find rest. And then you tag back in, and you wrestle with him because he's willing to wrestle against those evil powers for you. But you need to take the authority he's given you. One of the weird things about growing up as a kid and saying you're a wrestler is your friends go, I love wrestling. And then you go, no, like real wrestling, not WWE. Not, not, when I was a kid, WWF, not that stuff where they jump off the ropes and they slam down and they got the microphone and they're claiming who they are. See, those guys, they know how to take authority. They walk into the ring strutting all tough and like The Rock was the best at this. He's the only wrestler I've ever watched because he'd just be like, I own this place. If you want to have some spiritual authority against the, the rulers in this dark world, you need to take the authority that God's given you. Listen, I, I'm, I'm not a WWE wrestler, never was, didn't like it. It's weird stuff. I've always been a, a regular wrestler. And I struggled to, to have those moments of fierce fighting where I'd stare down the other guy because I've never thought of myself as particularly tough. And, and some matches I lost before I even stepped on the mat because I didn't claim the authority that God had given me and I tried to do it on my own. But if you claim the authority God's given you against spiritual enemies, you can wrestle against the rulers in the dark places of this world. You can have the strength of God in your corner. It doesn't matter who's against you because it matters who's wrestling with you. But sometimes, like Jacob, we need to wrestle not with God on our side, but we need to wrestle with God as our opponent because he's going to spar with us and make us tougher. What does this look like? Asking tough questions. Not blindly accepting what you're told. Hearing a sermon and going to the Word to check it out. Learning how to study the Bible and ask tough questions of it. It's about searching. It's about being a part of a group. You need to be a part of another group of believers that will spar with you, that will challenge you, that will drive you to the Word, that will say, that's not what God's Word says. Where do you see that? To challenge one another, to read the Bible, to encourage, to lift up. That's wrestling with God. Wrestling with God in your back on your tag team is when you face down the enemy. Wrestling with him as your partner is when he makes you tougher. And you need both because that's how you'll find the rest you need. Because you see, rest comes when you come together as a group of believers and you worship and you have that experience and you rest up so that you're ready to wrestle. I think too many people, we come into this place so that we can find rest for our souls. And then you're supposed to be built up, ready to go, encouraged, lifted up so that you can go out into the world and wrestle, but but you're not really wrestling out in the world and you just, you're not getting any stronger and you need this place of rest. So now that we've gone into a season where we haven't been in the same room, you just feel exhausted and drained because you don't have this place of rest. You need to wrestle in those moments where you don't have that season of rest. And sometimes you gotta be willing to wrestle straight through the night, through that dark 
dark night of the soul, that dark season where you don't see any light at the end. You know, I remember early on in this COVID pandemic where they said, in two weeks, we'll be getting back to normal. And then they're like, the end of the month, things will be, things will be the new normal and we'll be back to a reasonable. And, and here we are in August, September, months just keep flying. And we're going back to school and, and nothing, nothing seems normal. It's gone on way longer than the light at the end of the tunnel that we thought it would be. And, and, and we're going, where's my rest? Your rest needs to be in Christ. You need to be able to find rest at home, throwing on some worship music and resting in his presence, and then lifting up your Bible and wrestling with him so that you're stronger tomorrow. Jacob wrestled through the night. A, a six minute wrestling match would destroy my body right now, but he wrestled through the night. Jesus wrestled with God through the night until he was sweating blood so that he could face the cross. And by doing that, he brought us all rest for our souls. See, I don't, I don't know what nightmare, I don't know what difficulty, I don't know what darkness you're facing, but I know that salvation can bring rest for your soul today. That salvation can come to your house today and then you can claim authority right in your living room over your own house, over your own family, over your own life because Jesus Christ loved you enough to wrestle and to die and to bleed, to forgive you of your sins like Jacob is forgiven for his deceit. And Jacob, he becomes Israel because when he is saved, he is willing to strive against God, with God, against man, with man. His life is changed in that moment of wrestling. Jesus gives you an easy burden. He gives you a new life. He lifts you up so that guess what? Now you can fight. You no longer have to fight the war with God that says I'm right and you're wrong. You get to wrestle with God that says, God, you're right and I'm wrong. That change is everything. So my question for you today as we get ready to close is do you need to rest in his presence or wrestle with his presence. I guarantee you, you need one. Resting means seeking new salvation, seeking new wineskin, seeking new place, seeking new life, saying, forgive me, help me. I just need a break. I need you. And he is faithful and just, and he will be there. But if you're in a season where you need to wrestle, he'll say, I've already saved you. I've already forgiven you. Now let's fight together. We can do this. We can face them. I'm with you. I'm for you. Let's fight. Which season are you in? Because sometimes people are ready for a fight when they need to rest, and sometimes people are resting when they need to fight. I cannot answer for you which one you need, but I can tell you God is good and he will. What do you need? If you need to rest in his presence, throw on some worship music today. Close your eyes and pray and seek him. Ask for forgiveness of your sins because that will lead you to a place of rest. And then you'll be ready to fight the good fight, to wrestle. If there's been a sin in your life, you know you've needed to change. Are you ready to wrestle with God? Are you ready to strive with him? Are you ready to face saying, not my will, but your will, whatever you want, God, I'll do it. I'm gonna find a way. What is it that you need? If you wanna receive Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. If you want to receive a refreshing and a new life today, I'm gonna to pray with you in a second.
If you're saying, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to get fierce. I'm ready to claim the authority in my life. Or I've been in that season and I just need to fight a little harder and I just need to surround myself with somebody who can help. I need to find a group. I need to take a next step. You're gonna be able to do that too. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads wherever you're able. Would you get ready to pray? Father, would you speak to hearts and minds, letting them know where they're at and what they need, sending them to the next place of application. If you're listening to me right now and you feel far from God, you feel like you can't do it on your own. You feel like things are too heavy. You feel like you, you've, you've gone too far. He can never accept you back. You feel like you're running for your life like Jacob was and you need forgiveness. You need salvation. You need a new life. You need to accept Jesus as Lord. You need to confess him as your savior. You need to confess your sins to him. You believe you wanna be saved today. You can be saved. Just say, Jesus, forgive me and help me to follow you. Jesus, forgive me for my sins and help me to follow you because I believe that you forgive me. I believe that you love me. I believe that you're for me. And I wanna follow you from this day forward. Jesus, your Lord. If you've already been saved, but, but you've been struggling with the fight, if you need to claim authority in your life, if you, need, if you need to surround yourself with people who are fighting the fight with you, if you need to lift up that fierce fight attitude, if you need to be ready to face the enemy in front of you, that dark season in front of you, would you declare to God, I'm ready to fight. Will you fight with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for every response in every room. I ask that those who made a decision to follow you would let somebody know. They'll go to that link on the screen behind me. They'll, they'll take some next steps in their faith. And those people who are saying, I, I haven't been fighting like I should and I, I'm ready to, to deal with the sin. I'm ready to fight the, the things in front of me. God, would you send them someone to fight alongside them? Send someone to spar with them to help them grow strong. That we would be a church filled with fierce fighters. Thank you, God, for this time in your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Wrestling with God and with the word is, is so important. I can remember talking about that. So I felt like that's all I talked about my first couple years of preaching, but it made such a difference in my life. And I know that it will for you as well. So if you made a decision to follow Jesus today, please go to effie.church slash I am in. Fill out the very short form there. We'd love to be in contact with you this week. I would love to, to just chat with you about next steps, what you can do moving forward and how to learn about growing in your faith. That's one of my favorite things to do. So sign up on that link, um, effie.church slash I am in. And Freedom Valley, we're going to see you in this building next week. Welcome back Sunday, 10 a.m. 
the 13th, but as always, we'll be here online as well. Jason is starting a, a brand new start class tonight, 6 p.m. You can sign up for that as well, fb.church slash start. I know that you'll be growing and learning and developing this week in your faith no matter what. So uh, we're praying for you. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.
Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You are the name above all names. The name that every knee shall bow at. Every tongue will confess that you are Lord. Jesus, we thank you today. We praise you today. Place you above everything else in our lives. Above everything else. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, throughout the rest of this service this morning, we ask that you would just pour out your spirit on your people. The beautiful spirit of Jesus Christ. The walls would be broken down this morning. Hearts softened toward you. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together, even if it's mostly online today. That you would speak to your people is an amazing thing. Let us never take that for granted. That because of Jesus and his sacrifice for us, you speak. We can listen. We can speak back that we have a relationship with God the Father creator of heaven and earth let us never take that opportunity and privilege for granted we thank you father thank you jesus in your name amen amen well today i have another testimony to share with you this morning i've invited abby to come and share it for us i have so enjoyed sharing stories with you, the stories of Jesus working in lives here. And now I don't want you to miss these opportunities to have your faith encouraged because it really is such an encouragement that even through this season, God is working, that he continues to move. And so this is Abby. Abby, how old are you? So you are an FE youth. You were one of my FE kids, actually, right? Back in the day, like a long time ago. She's an FE youth now. So, Abby, tell us, who were you before you had a real relationship with Jesus? I was a very scared person. I was always anxious all the time. And I was just, you know, living in all this worry that was going on throughout my life. And this was like an everyday thing. It wasn't like a once a week. It was every single day I was feeling anxious and nervous. So that's basically who I was, like, all the time. But it's changed now since really having a thriving relationship with Jesus. So tell us how that happened and who you are now. So about eight months ago, I abruptly moved from my mom's house over to my dad's house in Hanover. And I grew up in Chambersburg. But um, I went eight months without speaking to my mom. And, you know, when it first happened and everything, I was very sad all the time and like kind of going through a depression phase but um I started going to the Mike and Kim Corcoran home group shout out to Mike and Kim (laughs) I was just doing it to like get distracted from everything was going but then I started to get really into depth with like the sermons that she was preaching like Miss Candace (laughs) (laughs) Miss Candace see that's how you know that she's an effy kid she just called me Miss Candace go on um 
<laughs> so, and I was just starting to take notes, and I was getting really involved with church, and I was just coming, and I would start coming all three services. So I was just like getting really involved and really enjoying getting close with God, and it really helped me through a lot of things. Yeah, awesome. So you went through sort of that life-changing experience that you described. How has that sort of shaped your your relationship with God now? It's definitely drawn me closer. I can say I wasn't as close with God before everything happened than I am now. So I'm definitely like a very close person to God. Awesome. If you could encourage the church, especially your fellow FE youth students, if you could encourage them with something, what would it be? Even if you're going through bad times and it doesn't seem like there's any good, turn to God because there will be good at some point. You just have to wait, but you have to let God guide you through it. And you have to give time to heal as well. Awesome. Woo! Thank you, Abby. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And let me just one more time encourage you. Abby has been incredibly involved around here. You've been serving like crazy behind the scenes, learning how to do all of this stuff behind the scenes. That We as a church believe in young people believe in the youth as you saw last week and Jeremiah Sutter got to preach and, and did so so powerfully now, there is something special about young people serving the Lord and carrying that on to the next generation we've always believed in that but there's also something incredibly special about serving right just giving yourself to the church it, it leads you into new levels of your faith so I'm going to pray thank you so much for sharing that testimony father I just speak that spirit into Freedom Valley, that we would be passionate about young people serving the Lord and being set free from the fear and the shame and the pain of the past, that we would be passionate about that transformation in Jesus, but also, God, that, that you would breathe that servant heart into us as a church, that we would be selfless, vibrant, passionate, and, and selfless, serving each other with everything that we have. Thank you, Jesus, for transforming us from the inside out. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.